when you're ordering the excess for those suppliers, right, and you're ordering shortages, you're eating into their capacity. So that's the thing. You're actually helping your suppliers out by the better job that you do of what you just said, right? The more we get that alignment between excess and shortages, you're actually, in essence, freeing up supplier capacity that's limited as well. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. COVID has taught us that supply chain issues can shake the whole economy and everyone is attacking supply chain issues from their perspective. And sometimes it's very hard to understand how these solutions will collectively solve the overarching issues with supply chain. One of the most critical perspectives that is often missed when we talk about production scheduling is of the buyer who is responsible for procuring materials and ensuring that shop floor has the materials timely. But managing the procurement process while optimizing the inventory is easier said than done. In today's episode, our guest Richard Labovitz shares his insights into the procurement prioritization and impact on the scheduling and the inventory. He also compares and contrasts various systems such as SNOP, IBP, PTP, and vendor collaboration software, and where procurement-focused systems such as Lean DNA fit in the architecture. Finally, he discusses how the underlying data and business and the configuration of business and information model may have impact on your procurement and production processes. Let me introduce Richard to you. Richard is the founder and CEO of Lean DNA, the leading supply chain execution software provider. Lean DNA empowers companies with resilient supply chain practices to execute plans amidst volatile supply and demand conditions. Customers report an average 14% inventory reduction, 32% shortage reduction, and 18% improvement in on-time delivery within the first year. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Richard. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. Great to be here. And I am super excited to have you as well because the kind of work that you have done for these large manufacturing companies, there's going to be so much to learn. Just to kick things off, Richard, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus? Sure, sure. So as I mentioned, Richard Lubovitz, I'm actually the CEO of an Austin-based company called Lean DNA. And I started Lean DNA back in 2014. And prior to that, I was actually a founder and CEO of another company called Factory Logic that we started actually back in the 90s and the 2000s. We were acquired by SAP. So my background has really been a, a mix of understanding lean supply chain and manufacturing. I was actually a partner with the Japanese firm for quite a few years at the beginning of my career. Where I really understood and developed and helped develop a lot of the methodologies around manufacturing and how do you implement it. 
But in doing that, what I started to find was that a lot of the systems that were needed to support that new way of, of working that was really being developed at the time when I first started going back 30 years ago, uh, there was a lot of great methodology behind it, but the systems were lacking. And so my career has really been that that hybrid blend between really becoming an expert in the area of manufacturing supply chain, but also how do you build great technology yep. that can make work easier for people? And um, like I said, excited to be here and share some of our of our background and history. Okay, amazing. And in, with my personal experience, I can tell you that most manufacturers are always overstocking their inventory. These days, it might be okay just because, you know, if things are very uncertain, uh, but generally you don't want to overstock. So we are going to have a lot of fun digging into that, how you are approaching this. Before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest, Richard. And that is going to be your perspective on business growth. Well, it's, it's, a, it's definitely an interesting topic with everything going on in supply chain. And I would say I would have never thought four or five years ago that you'd be hearing about the supply chain every day in the news. Yeah. So it's, it is an interesting time. And part of what we've seen over the last several years is we went, let's say a couple of years ago, went from a scenario where digital transformation was something that we were really pushing, right? Let's get more online. Let's start to kill a lot of the spreadsheets, a lot of the manual methodologies that were being used within manufacturing, especially in the back office. So we're now companies have initiatives around, we need to be more digital. We need to bring things more online. Part of it is through people working remote, but a vast array of other reasons have driven it. But we find ourselves in a time today where digital transformation is really critical. So that's one big thing that we've seen. But when you start looking at supply chain in particular, there's a couple of trends that we've seen that are really important. And it started probably 10, 15 years ago. And one was just the increasing amount of options, right? If you look at uh, let's say I use the example of a grill that you buy from Home Depot and you look at the yeah. same exact grill that you buy from Costco, they may be slightly different and there, there could be a button, it could be a label. So from a marketing perspective, it makes a lot of sense to create that differentiation, but from a manufacturing, it creates a lot of complexity. So in general, we've seen that trend not only in industrial products, consumer goods, but if you think about an area that I know we'll talk a little bit about regarding commercial like aircraft and defense and aviation, yeah. that's where you've seen a huge amount of growth in the number of options. You know, aircraft went from 15 years ago, you just wanted to fly safe and efficient. Now it's what seat colors do you want, what cabin configuration. So a lot of yeah. options. That's one big trend. The other issue or challenge that we've seen is just the globalization of the supply chain. Same, taking aerospace as an example, 10, 15 years ago, you tended to have a lot of lot more vertical integration. You know, where these manufacturing plants would do everything from buying the the sheet metal to forming it to assembling it to ultimately shipping it. Now they focus a lot more on just the assembly, for example, and they rely upon hundreds, often thousands of suppliers all over the world to deliver those goods. So it's a combination of those two things where you, you have a lot of options, a lot of configurations that you've got to control on the manufacturing side yeah. and the planning side, feeding it. And you, ha- but you also have a lot more suppliers now that are that you're relying upon to get you those parts, and it can just take that one bracket, that one board that's going to stop the line. So, in terms of the, these macro trends that we're seeing, those are a couple. The, the more shorter term trends that we're seeing right now get into the just the complexity of the supply chain due to COVID and disruptions. And I, and I do think there's an emerging trend that I think your audience coming from the financial side is going to be real interested is just the impact on, of inflation. 
I would say four or five years ago, yeah. we were always working on as a company on both inventory reduction, which yeah. is important, you know, driving driving down your DOI, your days of inventory, your days of coverage, while at the same time we want to improve on time delivery to help drive revenue to get that revenue by shipping those products. So we've always as a company built a product to do both. But what we're seeing right now is a little bit of pivoting from you know, focus on inventory. Now there's a big focus on shortages, yeah. but sure enough, we believe in six to nine months, we're already seeing it now. There's going to be a big interest and a big focus back on inventory, mainly because of inflation. And, and we're also seeing that companies are bringing in a lot of inventory to deal with shortages, but they're not doing everything they can to control the excess, right? They're bringing in both. Why not? But the reality is it creates a lot of problems for your suppliers yeah. when you're both expediting the shortages, but go ahead and bring in the excess material that you may or may not need. So we think that there'll be a lot more focus on how do we create the right balance between having exactly what you need to deliver to your customer, but also not having that excess that you can at least push off until you really need it. Okay, amazing insights there. And I completely agree. And uh, the perspective that you shared, especially around the product mix, that product mix is becoming far more complex because that is driven by the consumer demand. And sometimes when we think about the supply chain and inventory, it's kind of fascinating. Everybody talks about the supply chain and inventory at this point of time, you know, and that actually touches pretty much everything. So you are going to be talking more from the manufacturing perspective, shop floor perspective, but the other functions are probably going to be equally impacted by the impact of supply chain as well as the inventory. So now let's dig into the story. And I know you have a, you know, really fascinating story that is going to have a lot of insights for our listeners. So do you want to provide a little background in terms of what is this company about? What do they do? And what was the problem where you guys uh, got engaged with them? I don't know whether these drivers were more from the supply chain perspective, more from the customer experience perspective. So do you want to describe the story? Sure, sure. So, so as a company, just so your audience knows, we work in about 25 different countries. Okay. We do work with some of the largest companies in the world, but we also work with smaller companies as well. But we do work with some very, very large entities that have factories that are located in many times, uh, you know, 8, 10, 12 different countries sometimes. Yeah. We also deal with companies that have a lot of different ERP systems as well. Yeah. So a lot of challenges that we're working to help our customers address that I think are reflective of a lot of the challenges we just talked about earlier. One example I know we talked about, Sam, was the case of Spirit Aerosystems, which right. is a, a good example because it's one of the top tier one aerospace manufacturers in the world. Yeah. So they used to actually, if you look at their history, they actually used to be Boeing. And then many, many years ago, they kind of uh, separated and created their own entity yeah. uh, called Spirit Aerosystems, which produces a lot of primarily a lot of the fuselages that are used for all the Boeing products, uh, Bombardier, Airbus. Yeah. Uh, it's a great company with about eight different locations all over the world. Their system that they uh, primarily use is SAP across those sites. Yeah. And I would say that their their challenges were no different than what I think a lot of aerospace companies where aerospace suppliers were experiencing yeah. a few years ago when COVID hit and there was a big almost almost overnight in a way, when you look at the demand, it just it just dropped off in a matter of weeks. You know, we right. just it just stopped. And so there was a lot of these manufacturing companies that just had to deal with that. So uh, fortunately at the time we we're already uh, working with Spirit Aero Systems. So some of the first challenges were how do we start to manage both kind of the excess material, but also manage yeah. some of the prioritization around shortages. 
so we can kind of deal with this very sudden downturn in demand, but do it in a way that we can still, you know, keep production driving to what our customers need, but also making sure we're not pulling in too much. So that was something that I think was represent the whole industry. Right. Then over time, fortunately, the demand has started to come back. And I'm sure for those of you that are traveling now, you're really seeing it pick up. But as yeah. the, the demand started to pick up, we started to now find that challenge of balancing the inventory, you know, making sure you don't have too much coming in with balancing the shortages to make sure you have everything you need to be what we call clear to build. In other words, you have all the material to deliver for that yeah. particular order. How do we balance both? So those those are two challenges that were taking place. And at the same time, with COVID causing a lot of the sites to now go to remote, and then those workers were now being either brought back into the office, or sometimes you had a mix of people that were remote as well as on site. We needed to have this ability to have people operate virtually, but also collaborate. And more importantly, we wanted them to be able to collaborate around data, right? So the key thing was not just sharing information like static spreadsheets, which is the norm in our industry, but how do we prioritize what people need to do every day? Yeah. So whether your, your team's together in a war room or whether they're in separate locations, everybody's really aligned with those priorities that matter. So in the case of Spirit Aerosystems, as the demand started to pick up, that was like our, our focus. How do we balance the incoming material with the, the prioritization around the shortages? But at the same time, how do we improve the efficiency of the teams? You know, and the way I describe it is it's not so much like work harder, but how do we make the, the work easier and more intuitive for the people so that they're working on the right stuff so that now that the work that they're doing is actually uh, going to really impact the business in the best way. So that's was kind of the, the trend that happened, the challenges. And we're, we're, we work with a lot of other aerospace suppliers as well. And it was kind of a common pattern. But Spirit in particular has done a great job in terms of how they use data and analytics and combine it with their strategy to yeah. both deal with the challenge of the last couple of years, but also come out of it to be uh, really a better company in the end. So very interesting story there as, as well as the insight. And uh, when we look at the overarching picture of this company, so you mentioned that, you know what, they had eight locations. And uh, since this is a large company, obviously, so my understanding is going to be that they are probably going to be using one of the largest products of SAP, which probably in this particular case is, is going to be either ECC or, or S4 HANA. So now the natural inclination, if you really think more from the manufacturer's perspective, you are going to feel that, you know what, you have such a large company, you have eight different sites, you have the ERP system, and you should have all your data and insights based on that ERP system. And since you are more of the software company, you are not consulting here, right? So obviously there was a need for a specific component. So I don't know, uh, you know, uh, if you, let's say, think more from the manufacturer perspective, their natural question is going to be, okay, I have this ERP, so why am I not able to get the data that I am looking for? And why am I not able to manage in the ERP system? And why do I need another software sitting on top of that? It's a, it's a great question. And because if you think about it, and again, I'm coming at it from having been in this industry of software and manufacture for 30 years, that you have to really understand the technology and, and really understand what they're great at 
Right. And where are the gaps, right? That's really important. So when you think about the technology that exists in every, I would say every manufacturing company we work with is they all have an ERP system and there's incredible advantages and value to that. It's critical to running any sort of business. And so they all have some sort of enterprise resource planning uh, system. Then you also have, in many cases, that next layer down, which is what they call like a IBP integrated business planning, like a planning yeah. software. And that helps you maybe plan better, forecast better. Yeah. And then when you go down to the shop floor, you start to realize there's all this advanced automation, all this great investment there. But there's this area in between where you're kind of above the factory, but you're beyond the planning, which you kind of get in this execution mode. That's where we find there's a gap, especially when you think about manufacturing and the people that are trying to run the factory. I'm not really talking about retail distribution, the, the last mile right. cargo containers. There's a lot of needs there, but the challenge that we like to identify, what happens if the part's not in the crate, right? right? How do we make sure that that's really aligned? So there's a gap there. And we've thought a lot, Sam, about like, why does that gap exist, right? Yeah. And because here we are years in, into, this industry, into this area of myself, but also companies have invested millions of dollars in these technologies. So there's not a failure of commitment, right? There's a commitment to go improve their on-time delivery improve their days of inventory. But yet with all that investment, why do we go to most factories and they're still doing things in spreadsheets, right? That's the question that we asked ourselves. And what you find is that it has to do with the fact that planners, like the role of a planner planning production with a buyer buying material, and then a supplier ultimately making that part. If you think about those three roles, with a lot of these systems like SAP, we can connect those across all three areas with a common set of data. But what's lacking is the prioritization that they're using day by day to determine what to do. So if you think about a planner trying to plan production and what his priorities are, and then as things change, you have a buyer, a buyer of material that's trying to determine what are the priorities around Expedite, they're often not aligned. And then you start to extend that further to a supplier. Now the priorities are different again. So even though the data is one common set of data, the local decision-making and the prioritization is still done in silos, right? And so because of those silos, little small changes day by day at one end as it goes to the buyer, and they start to make decisions that are a little bit different, not only by themselves linked to the planner, but we also find that some of our sites have 10, 20, 30 buyers, and they're, they're working with just different rules and different prioritization. And then that, again, extends to the supplier. So ultimately, what we found is that because of that siloed decision making, just a lack of prioritization, that they try to now create that prioritization. They try to create that collaboration and synchronization. And that's where they start to use Excel. Like, what are they left with? Well, we'll create a spreadsheet. I'm going to take my 100,000 messages from SAP, and I'm going to try to figure out what's important today. And I'm going to shoot that off to a supplier. And then a day later, Things may have changed, and now I'm sending another file back and forth. I'm on the phone. That's yeah. kind of the, the old world. So what LeanDNA does is ultimately we have very sophisticated algorithms that take all that data from SAP, and we can prioritize the information. So now we can understand not just what is a future shortage, which is incredibly valuable by itself, but tell me what a what is a priority one shortage that's going to potentially impact the line in the next two days. What is a priority two shortage that could impact a production order? You know, what is a priority three that's going to be a shortage in the next two weeks? And so that prioritization can take potentially hundreds or thousands of messages. And now people are focusing on the five or 10 things that really matter. 
then we can now go out to the supplier and they can see that prioritization as well. And so if you can really connect those three areas with the priorities that matter, Sam, that's how you start getting everybody aligned with those things that are going to really impact both my my on-time delivery, because now I've got all the parts that I need, but I can also make sure that I'm not bringing in those materials that I don't need, which is which is another aspect of which what we do, which is not only prioritization of shortages, but prioritization of your inventory actions. So if I need to go cancel a PO, maybe split a PO, I, I can surface up those things that are, going, that are really going to impact our working capital versus other things that maybe move outs, move ins a few days, but not really impact our inventory. And so it's all about prioritization and then connecting that with good collaboration. Okay, very interesting. So as you know, I came very blank in this conversation. I didn't know, you know what you guys are doing. So it's going to be a personally learning for me as well in terms of where you guys sort of fit in the architecture. And even for me, even though I have, what, 20 years of technology background, touching every single system out there, it gets very confusing. And for my listeners as well, it's probably going to be equally confusing. So we are going to be taking many different layers and comparing and contrasting this system with some of the other systems that they may have experienced with. So obviously, you touched already on the ERP and the IVP, which is going to be sort of the SNOP system, right? But then you have many other systems, and I will be touching on each of them in sequence to understand, okay, where is going to be overlap, where lean DNA is going to be a great fit, right? And 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 how they can probably take advantage of that. So there are two layers in, in what you mentioned. So when you mentioned the prioritization, for a lot of people, they are going to relate the prioritization more with respect to scheduling on the production floor, because you are talking about the, the problems on the production floor. You are not talking about the corp wide planning because that's probably they are going to use ERP for that. So if they are looking at the plant floor level problems, then, you know, there are a lot of different scheduling tools out there. You know, they solve that problem. But then you are also touching on the, the whole buying process in that also the prioritization is going to be important. Then the third layer that you mentioned is that vendor collaboration. And for that, you have a lot of different companies that are doing the similar vendor collaboration as well. For example, you know, right from Austin, you guys are in Austin as well. So Source Day is the company that is doing prioritization more from the PO perspective. So do you want to touch a little bit more in terms of, you know, where are the boundaries? Sure. Love to. Yeah. So a little bit of my background. So my prior company, Factor Logic, I mentioned, we actually yeah. built these type of discrete schedulers trying to schedule a factory. And what you yeah. what you found is that when people don't come in or also materials not available, all of a sudden this incredibly efficient, lean operation, lean factory that you built on the shop floor, it can't run because I have material that's not available. And what led me to actually start Lean DNA was the fact that in doing this work in modern factories, you started to realize more and more that with the growing number of options that are that are taking place, as we talked about earlier, in the complexity yeah. of the supply chain, material availability, even on the production planning side in terms of scheduling, if that isn't managed well, a lot of these great plans, a lot of what you're trying to, to do around shop floor scheduling doesn't work. It, right, it, break down, it breaks down very quickly, and we experienced that firsthand. So in terms of modern lean factors, there's a lot of work being done around value streams and flows yep. and pace lines. So there's a lot of work that's done there. And what I found was that as that was being done, people were leaving behind and not really focusing enough on 
the material side of getting that that material to the actual plant. So I think the better you can schedule, it's great. The better you can plan is great. But the reality is on the material procurement side, if you're not getting the material there at the right time, at the right place when you need it, you're going to have problems. So that was just our experience firsthand. Having built those type of schedulers and, and been involved with the planning was that there was just a problem here. And so when you talk about the prioritization, yeah. there the, the idea of, of prioritization and MRP messages is not new. And a lot of what companies are doing, whether it's SourceDay or Reva, there's a lot of technologies that are out there. They're taking a lot of that information coming from the ERP system and the MRP engine that's running, and they're pushing that out to the suppliers like a cancellation message, an expedite message, which is valuable. But what you need, what LeanDNA does that's unique is we had a layer of prioritization based on a deep understanding of the factory and what it's doing that allows them to prioritize these actions a lot more accurately than is done through these existing ERP planning systems. And not only can we prioritize better, but we have a lot of workflow where what we hear a lot from our customers is our product is kind of built for them. So it's not just the analytics and the prioritization, but it's, it's built in a way where people can just log in. It's intuitive. They can understand the root cause of the problem, which is an issue with a lot of uh, these systems is that they give data and they're given information and it's constantly changing. And a lot of our users with those types of systems don't understand the why. And so we do a lot to not only prioritize, but then understand the why and the root cause. So when you now are starting to engage in collaboration, there's a certain trust in the information. There's a certain amount of trust in the data. And that, that, that combination of the deep factory understanding with the ability to prioritize and then collaborate, that's kind of what we're, doing and what's unique that we don't see a lot of the technologies doing it currently. Very interesting. Overall, when you talk about these personas, and I don't know who is going to be the target user for your platform, whether these are going to be the operations manager that or the production manager that are on the shop floor, or are these going to be procurement people? So do you want to talk about the, the customer journey a little bit? Uh, overall from the user perspective of your platform? Sure, sure. So our primary user that we actually track is a buyer. It's a buyer within buying for a factory, which is kind of that procurement team that's buying material. That We yeah. typically see about uh, 70% of those individuals are in LinkedIn every day. So it's very much used for kind of that dealing with the execution, the day-to-day changes, where the, the plan in a way is an input to us, and now we're helping them execute. So those are one key users. The the next user is the planner, and we try to be careful about what we do there because we are not a planning tool, but we do something what we call clear to build, which yeah. is the ability to look order by order. And we have algorithms can actually look at order one, order two, what are all the materials needed for order one? And we have logic that can peg material that's coming into that order. And then we could go forward in time based on that clear to build logic to determine, are we clear to build this order? And then as we go forward, we could identify those orders that we aren't clear to build and then understand what parts are actually impacting those. And we can differentiate between, let's say a part that is not here yet, but it's scheduled to come on time. Uh, Here's a part that's ordered, but it's not coming in on time. And a third category would be a part that's not even ordered yet which you wouldn't think would happen, but it happens more than you think as things are changing day to day. When they do things like cycle count, it it happens a lot, but we can help identify that. And so that's that second common user. And that that gives them that visibility that, yep, I'm clear to build on these. These are a problem. 
But then those problem parts, Lean DNA is able to take that clear to build information and get the buyers now, again, focused on the right priorities. So that's adding another layer of prioritization that we talked about earlier. And then that third is the supplier piece. And that's something where it's um, something we've been deploying over the last couple of years. It's starting to really pick up a lot of adoption, Sam. And what I would say is what's unique about it is because we don't want to, we don't really compete with the source days, Ariva, those type of yeah. technologies. But yet there's a piece of it that does overlap to some degree, which is that commit date. And that's where our uniqueness is around understanding between the clear to build and our prioritization, where are those things that we need that commit on? Because a lot of suppliers are just statusing everything and then they get a new file or they get new information every day and they're, they're now restatusing anything that changed. What Lean DNA allows them to do is, is really highlight those critical parts that are impacting production. So now you have direct collaboration and alignment between what is production doing t- today and tomorrow, the next week, with what suppliers are making, how do we create that alignment? And that's just something, I understand the question because everybody would think, oh, that exists. But the reality is they're collaborating, they're sharing terms and conditions, they're taking MRP messages and they're passing that back and forth and that's valuable. But the gap right now is the the logic, which gets to be rather complicated, which is where we focus around that prioritization, both from a clear to build order alignment with the overall actions at the procurement level and getting those groups aligned. That's really the gap that we focus on, but it's a huge, not only a huge problem, but as we're doing it, we're finding more and more companies feel like that's the real value that you can provide that companies really need. It's it's good to have a lot of the other collaboration. It's critical to have that around these other tools, yeah. but but day-to-day from a day-to-day execution and driving results, that prioritization is what you really need. Yeah, very interesting insights there. So now I am going to be sharing some more things from my experience, what I have seen in many different uh, manufacturing organizations. So if I look at the journey of buyers, you know, the way they operate, and in most cases, they are probably not going to be operating on the ERP system in general. Okay, even though ERP system might be there, the reason why they are not going to be operating on the ERP system is Either, you know, they are probably not trained as well compared to what the skill set is going to be required if you are going to be managing your workflow, let's say, inside the ERP system. Or the data is going to be so off that you have to do a lot of manipulation inside the spreadsheet to be able to find out, uh, you know, or to be able to create your lead times, to be able to create the the way uh, the material has to be there on the factory. So they are doing a lot of analysis inside the spreadsheet as you correctly pointed out. And I think that's where you are sort of filling the gap that, you know what, you don't have to manage this on the spreadsheet. Now you have this tool. But my question to you is going to be, if your underlying data data is going to be really bad, okay? Right. <laughs> Nobody can fix that. None of these systems can fix right. that. <laughs> so, so how it's are you going great, to Sam, it's, it's, well, I was going to say, it's it's probably the, the most common question we get when people see our technology at LeanDNA is, what about the quality of your data? It's very, very common. So one thing that we've invested years in is this not only data transformation, but data health checks and data cleansing. So it's a huge area that we don't really talk a lot about. But to your point, it's so critical to what we do. So when we deploy We've we've obviously worked a lot with the big ones like SAP, Oracle, Infor, Microsoft Dynamics, but but we've actually integrated about 30 different ERP systems. And we have some customers that one company may have, we have one that has about 10 to 12 different ERP systems. So this area of data quality is absolutely critical, first of all. So I totally agree with what you're 
you know, what you mentioned, Sam. And so we, what we do is we go through a lot of data health checks, first of all, as part of our transformation. Then we have this ability to take data from all those systems and transform it and normalize it into one common data model. And what that allows you to do is whether you're on SAP, but you also have a couple sites on Oracle, and maybe one is on an old, uh, like IFS type of old or Mapix type of ERP system, yeah. we still run into that because there was a lot of growth over time. We did some acquisition. So they may all be on SAP, but a few could be on other systems. But we still have to deal with that, right? We need to pull that data together. So one is around the data cleansing and data health checks. It's a big part of what we do. The other is how do you transform it? So if I'm a head of supply chain, how do I look at it? And whether I'm looking at SAP or Oracle, the order policies are clear. The way in which I'm uh, setting up the safety stock levels or, or my reorder points, I can understand that in a consistent way, or I, or I can understand the inventory actions in a consistent way across those sites. That's a real big key as well. It's not only the data quality, but how do I pull that data into one system where it all uh, makes sense? We obviously do a lot of things too, just not only on the data cleansing, but we monitor in like actual deliveries versus requested. And so we get a better understanding of supplier lead time. We do things around supplier performance. So we understand yeah. how well are they delivering against uh, those requested demand. We also do what we call a plan for every part analysis. It's called PFPP or plan for every part. What that allows us to do is look at all the, what we call order policies in the system. And that would be for every part you buy, for example, in SAP, there's things like PDZ1, Z2. There's all these parameters yeah that define how I'm going to buy that one part. Right. And a lot of times those get defined and they may not touch them for a year. Sometimes they very rarely touch them. So, so we're able to take that data and do that PFEP automatically. And so that, that now allows us to kind of tune, tune that ERP system, but also make sure that we've done everything we can to get that right. And obviously if you get that right, it then can help us manage some of those actions in even a, a better way. So those would be a couple of things we do around the data. It's it's doing the data health checks and data cleansing up front, transforming it into a data model that's now can be interpreted across any company. Um, you know, those are a couple of things. And then obviously, you know, we want to be able to use that again for good prioritization through that kind of standardization of the terms and the PFEP. Very interesting. So one of the problems that I personally notice when I talk to these companies, and you know, a lot of them are going to feel that they are really unique, they are really custom. In some cases, sure, there might be companies that might be unique and custom, but for the most part, they are probably not going to be as custom as they think they are. So when you go from the journey where, you know, when you started, probably you were doing everything custom because that's what you have to do to be able to survive. So your product mix was probably all over the place. Uh, you know, you were very either engineer to order, make to order. But then there comes a point when you need to standardize your product mix a bit. You need to standardize your manufacturing processes a bit. And this transition that when I uh, look at different manufacturers, it's very, very, very hard for them. Okay. So the challenge that I was talking about more from the planning perspective, what these buyers typically try to do when they probably can decouple their planning a little bit, but they just don't feel in their head that they could be made to stock. So what they are doing is, their data is going to be completely made to order. And then they have to do a lot of different arrangement to be able to sort of mimic the process that they would do, let's say, if they were made to stock. So typically, that's going to be the additional admin effort that they have to put in to sort of customize that process, right? 
So in this particular case, your bombs are going to be completely different because if you look at the natural structure of your products, your business model, for example, let's say if you are really make to stock, then you don't probably have to be make to order, but their bombs are going to be very make to order. And that actually throws off the, the entire planning. So in your case, let's say if you were getting into this business, so how is this going to be different in your tool versus, let's say, what I am trying to describe? Well, again, it's it's a good question because you had mentioned earlier that we probably customized it up front and we dealt with that. We actually didn't. What happened was, is that when I, this is my third company I started in this area. Like I mentioned, Factory Logic was acquired by SAP. And then after yeah. that acquisition, there was years before we launched Lean DNA. And what we were doing doing during that time was actually building out Lean DNA, but we spent years to deal with this type of issue, right? It's because I had worked in the industry long enough that everybody said they're unique, whether you're making uh, chairs or you're making an automobile or you're making an aircraft, everybody felt like they're, they're unique. You know, I would hear, Richard, you don't understand our business is different. We have something that's unique and you've never seen us before. And, and I had worked with, uh, I was trained by the Japanese who had came from Honda and Toyota yeah. and worked all over the world. And so th- those are the people that were actually training me who had another 30 years on top of mine. And so we spent years uh, understanding and seeing this issue. So when we launched, you know, beginning to launch Lean and building the product, we were really focused on how do you deal with this in a scalable way? And so we actually can handle these different hybrid build models because some companies are purely configured order, make to order, you know, some are make to stock. Well, you tend to find more are kind of a hybrid, right? And that kind of ties into, you know, getting your policy wide and what's the right strategy. And when you're looking at, for example, shortages in a kind of configured order, made order, you're going to do more of a clear to build order by order. Do I have everything I need? If it's a more repetitive make to stock environment, you still may have shortages, but you're going to use more of a line of balance, right? Where I don't really care about necessarily order by order. I want to, I want to take the information from your MRP run and then create a, a more intuitive way of looking at the data and understand what parts do I need to go prioritize on. So it's a good question because it is a challenge, but we started LeanDNA understanding that there is a problem out there and we had enough deep domain knowledge to start to understand what is that commonality, you know, what is the same and, and how do we optimize against that? And then if there's some differences, there's ways we can do that through the ways we can create different views of our reports and things like that. So still it's, it's scalable, it's, it's automated, they can do those things without customization, but we we give that flexibility to do that. So some things can be standardized and it always works in a consistent way. Sometimes we need the ability to adapt it or customize those views. And we also, within our engine, have ways to configure our engine. So when we first begin with the new site, Sam, we actually go in and do some profiling of these very specific things you mentioned around the build model characteristics of of their parts and things like that, number of suppliers, number of sites, ERP systems. And then based on that, we'll configure LeanDNA with our our engine to work in those different environments in in very much a scalable way. So very interesting. And one of the challenges that I typically see, uh, you know, whenever I'm working in multiple systems and I am thinking more from the either as CIO or CFO, Let's say if I'm looking at multiple systems now, I don't know how thick my integration is going to be, where all my data is going to be. So in this particular case, obviously, the workflow seems a little thicker overall if you look at the the journey of either the buyer or the operations manager that you mentioned, right? So in your case, I don't know how much data do we need to keep, let's say, inside Lean DNA. 
And uh, what are you going to feed back to, for example, let's say the ERP system? I don't even know if they are going to be cutting the PO in lean DNA or are they still going to be cutting in the ERP? So can you describe the life cycle a little sure. bit more? Yeah. Sure, sure. So the way the way it works is we we primarily deploy initially where we're pulling data one way and we're making the recommendations yeah. around you know POs that cancel expedite or policy changes. Uh, so that that's that's kind of initially one way. And then when we start to collaborate, though, when we start to get information around PO commit dates, for example, so this is a priority one shortage. When am I going to get it? A supplier now could go through our supplier connect, which is a specific part of our application that just gets deployed. On, or used by the suppliers. You know, we're a SaaS cloud platform, but that's something that the suppliers can now access, which is a very limited view, but they can actually see their critical shortages. So it's one way initially, but the, but we do have an API that allows us to feed back into the ERP when it's desired or when it's needed. And so we can do that. A most common example would be like a company down the road says, okay, this is great. We're we're quickly up and running. We're deployed fast. And that's part of why we don't like to feed back into the ERP initially is because we'd like to get deployed in a matter of weeks. And by connecting and pulling that data through our, our Lean DNA Connect is what it's called in transformation, we can do that very quickly. So we're up and running very quickly. And keep in mind, Sam, that a lot of what we're trying to replace initially is spreadsheets, right, which don't often feed back in anyways. So we want to go solve that issue very, very quickly, much, much better remove the spreadsheets, now people have a good workflow engine. But then when they start to say, hey, I want to feedback PO commit dates that you're grabbing from the suppliers, can you do that? We absolutely have an API that can do that. Um, but but what we like is we don't have to start that way, which allows us to get deployed quickly, starts to drive the value very fast. But then when they're ready, we can then start to kind of connect that. And we can pretty much do a lot of our data, like it could be a safety stock level, it could be like we had companies that wanted us to resize their min-max levels, and they wanted to take that data and feed that back into SAP. So we can do those type of things. Uh, there's also cases where they may have like a BI tool, and they want to feed yeah. some of our data out of Lean DNA into BI tool. So we can absolutely do that. But I do think it's important not to get make that your starting point, because I think it creates a solution that is too complicated initially and not as focused on solving the real core problem, at least for what we do, yeah. you know, which is like around the workflow around the buyer, something that's purpose-built for them that just makes their job easier and gets them off the spreadsheets. But but you do need to be thinking about how do we eventually close that loop and we're able to do that uh, when when they're ready, you know, when they want to start pulling in that data. Okay, so just to be clear, I would like a little clarification there because, you know, I'm pretty sure my listeners are probably going to have the same question as well. So if we look at the traditional problem where, you know, these buyers were going to the spreadsheet, they were taking all this data from ERP, just because they had to do all this manual comp- competition around their workflows. And after you know that analysis, when they were done, then they were actually cutting the POs inside your ERP system. So you know whatever analysis that they had done, sure, it is important, but it's throw away, okay? So your workflow is still managed inside ERP, but the decision that you are making is actually happening uh, you know, in that spreadsheet. So are you simply uh, you know, doing that study part and then the buyers really go back and 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 continue in the yeah ERP. yeah. So if you think about POs, yeah. So what happens, Sam, is on the case of a PO, for example, the most common thing that'll happen is a, a date change, right? The yeah, PO is yeah. placed, and once it's out there, a lot of what they're doing is moving those POs in and out. Uh, they may be uh, changing the date, commit date. So that's the most common thing that changes after those POs are released because they're they're typically once they're deployed, then 
again, they're out there. It's more about how do we move that around, but we also can make recommendations about splitting POs and things like that. And there's, there's tools that are out there that can automate some of those transactions if they want to do it. So there's a lot of ways to take the data from us, whether it's updating a date or splitting a PO that can automate that transaction. But we definitely want to keep the ERP as that system of record. We want people working in that. We don't want to duplicate any of that activity because it works great, right? Yeah. The problem is when dates need to be moved around, we need to reprioritize things. We need analytical data to resize the order policies or set levels. That's the things that they're doing outside of it that we want to then be able to feed back in. But these other areas are are things that you still want to be doing in your ERP. It's just how do we provide those analytics and those recommendations, either tell them what to do uh, versus using spreadsheets or doing it on their own, or eventually being able to feed that data back in on the date. But we don't want to duplicate anything around PO release or any of that because they do a great job at that okay. in terms of the ERP systems. Love it. Amazing insights. So that's it for today. Do you have any uh, closing advice for our listeners by any chance, Richard? Well, the only, the only thing I would say we're, we're seeing is just, um, you know, people pivot and they kind of focus on the fires today, right? And right now there's a lot around shortages. Yeah. But one of the things we're, we're working with a lot of our customers on, I would tell any of your listeners, really start to think about kind of three areas. You know, one is not only your shortages, but start getting a handle on the excess inventory because you mentioned a lot of your listeners are more on the finance side, Sam. So that's going to become a real hot area. And also think about your team. I, I would say the passion for me around Lean DNA was building a product that companies and our users love that makes their jobs easier. So when you look at technology in this area, you really need to do things that makes the job easier for people because it's hard to find people now in supply chain. I think not only are you having issues with inventory, you have issues with shortages, but you can't find great analytical people in supply chain to go solve those. That's the world today. So the more you can build something that's very purpose-built and what it does, and it makes the job easier for, for your people, I think it's going to put your, your listeners on a good path that over the next year or two, which I, from what I'm seeing and what we're hearing, is it's not going to get much better anytime soon. It's still going to be problematic over the next year or two. So you have to really look at how do you get out of this firefighting mode and how do we prioritize what to go attack? And I think those areas around, like I said, excess shortages, but also making the work easier for people are the key priorities that we're seeing. Try to yeah, just try to get people focused on that is is my recommendation. Love it. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be that there are definitely going to be fluctuations on the supply chain. So you definitely need to have a little bit more understanding of supply chain. Obviously, the short in the short term, you are going to be over uh, stocking a lot, but don't make that as habit. Uh, because that is probably going to fire back from the business perspective. When you're ordering the excess for those suppliers, right, and you're ordering shortages, you're eating into their capacity. So that's the thing. You're actually helping your suppliers out by the better job that you do of what you just said, right? The more we get that alignment between excess and shortages, you're actually, in essence, freeing up supplier capacity that's limited as well. So just I would just tell your listeners, keep that in mind. And that's a great short-term strategy that could have an impact in, in days, if not, it could be a weeks, but it could have a very quick impact in terms of uh, your, your users, in terms of their ability to deliver. Could not agree more. Thank you so much for your time and uh, insights. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate the opportunity to join. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing the knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you would like to learn more about Richard or Lean DNA's supply chain execution software, 
head over to leandna.com. It's L-E-A-N-D-N-A.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Paul Bragel, who shares his insights into the operational challenges and quick fixes to deliver desired KPIs for a chemical company. Also, the interview with David Dozer, who shares his insights into the business process nuances for oil and gas suppliers. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.